Hey everybody, this is Pastor Todd, and you're listening to the Grace Community Church Sermon Podcast. All right, thank you, Pastor Josh and Kathy Lampkin. Love and appreciate you both. Just so appreciate the work that um, you all have done and the work that uh, Devin has done to help us continue to bring you a worship experience week in and week out during this uh, lockdown. Interesting, challenging times. And uh, we're doing our best to get through it one week at a time. Each one of you makes a difference. So thank you very much. Thank you for praying. Thank you for uh, giving. Thank you for serving. And for all those of you who uh, jumped back in to serving downtown today, and maybe you're watching online because you just can't get enough, uh, let me just give you respect. And as your pastor, thank you very much for uh, helping to make this church go. I do really believe that our best days are ahead of us, and I'm really excited to see what will come as this year unfolds and we get some more vaccine into the system, and uh, slowly, slowly we'll begin to see what uh, this next chapter, this new normal, looks like. But I, for one, am mostly full of hope these days. One thing to uh, keep in mind before I jump into the preaching of God's Word, is that March is on its way, and uh, amen. I'm excited about that. I love March because March is one very significant month closer to sailing season. And uh, so I, for one, just uh, am very, very excited to turn the page on the month of February. And in March, we have a lot of cool things happening here at the church. Specifically, we've got a membership class coming up on March the 25th at 7 p.m. on Zoom. I will be hosting that, and so if you are new to this church and you would like to become a member, you can join us at that membership class. I'll walk through what we believe as a church, some of our distinctives, some of the reasons uh, behind what we do. I'll talk you through what we do in specifics in terms of our mission, vision, and values and our discipleship pathway, and I'll give you a chance to interact with me, ask some questions about what we do and why, and then uh, give you a chance to opt in to become a member of this church. We run a membership series uh, at this point every year in advance of our AGM. So we will be having our annual general meeting on March the 21st at 1.30 p.m. Um, everyone is welcome to that, but we really encourage our members to come. We need to have a quorum so that we can vote and uh, run the business meeting in the proper manner. So AGM is coming up March the 21st. That's a Sunday at 1.30 p.m. And uh, the membership class precedes that. So um, please, um, oh boy, I got to start over, Devin, because these dates are wrong. She wrote it down wrong. It's March 15th. Let me just double check that. Sorry, dude. I didn't catch that when I looked at the notes. Yeah, March 15th. All right, thank you, Josh and Kathy, for leading us into God's presence and worship. Just really appreciate the work that you have done to uh, help us do that week in and week out in the midst of these strange days. Also, my thanks to Devin, who uh, makes this all happen visually. Love you, buddy. Really appreciate you and all the work that you do behind the scenes to help our people continue tasting and seeing that the Lord is good week in and week out. I'm just so excited to take the next step together as we uh, are allowed to begin regathering. And if you were at church downtown or up north this morning and you've come back for more, uh, welcome back to this uh, special online 
release where Pastor Todd gets to preach from his devotional life. Uh, before I do that, a couple quick announcements to bring to your attention. We have uh, our annual general meeting coming up in March. That's going to be on March the 21st. That's a Sunday at 1.30 in the afternoon. We anticipate that being via Zoom, so uh, please make sure to watch our announcements page, gracecommunity.ca front slash announcements, as all the info will be um, posted there. Also, you can join our mailing list. Uh, the link for that is also on our announcements page, and you'll get the emails just sent to you directly every Friday from Becky Goodwin, our Director of Communications, with all of the details. But please make a note on that if you are a member of this church annual general meeting, Sunday, March 21st at 1.30 p.m. on Zoom. Um, the reason we mention membership is we will have a membership class um, that precedes that AGM. That will be happening on Monday evening, the 15th of March. So March 15th, that's a Monday evening uh, at 7 p.m. I will be hosting that uh, Zoom Hangout, and we will talk through the mission, vision, values, and discipleship pathway of this church. We'll talk about what we do and why, give you a chance to ask me anything you want, and I'll do the best I can to answer all your questions uh, in the hopes of uh, giving you a chance to opt into membership at this church. If you are a member at this church, you can, of course, um, both attend and vote at our annual general meeting where we kind of conduct the official business of the charitable organization that is Grace Community Church. So mark those two dates on your calendar, March 15th, Monday night, 7 p.m., membership Zoom with Pastor Todd, and then the AGM happening on Sunday, March the 21st at 1.30 p.m. on Zoom. So I'm excited to um, deliver this one-off sermon for you. This is so that we can sync our online and our live um, services back up again. So as of next week, if you're exclusively um, watching us online, as of next week, you'll jump back into Exodus. So the sermon that I preached today live at uh, Grace Downtown, you'll get to watch next week, as was our habits um, after lockdown 1.0. And so tonight I get to uh, kind of catch you up and uh, spend a little time with you pastorally preaching the way I used to preach. For the first 12 years of my pastoral ministry, I preached exclusively from my devotional life. So I never preached series. Um, which is kind of strange considering that all I do now is preach through books of the Bible. That's something I came to uh, a little later, maybe in the midsection of my preaching and pastoring career, but for the first 12 years, I would exclusively preach from my devotional life. I've mentioned this um, from time to time. I uh, read my Bible every day, except Sunday. Of course, Sunday I read it professionally, but every other day of the week, I spend my own devotional time with the Lord in the Bible. I uh, have three sections that I'm always in, so I have three bookmarks that are in my Bible. The first bookmark is in the Old Testament. The second bookmark is in the New Testament. The third, which is the actual ribbon, is in the Psalms and Proverbs. And what I do is work my way through. So I start in Genesis 1, and so first day, I'll read Genesis 1, and then I would read Matthew 1, and then I would read Psalm 1. The next day, I would read Genesis 2, Matthew chapter 2, and Psalm 2, and so on and so forth until I finish the Bible. When I finish uh, with Psalm 150, I go into Proverbs 1, and I continue all the way through Proverbs, but when I finish Proverbs, I restart back in Psalms. So I'm always reading the Psalms and Proverbs as kind of the middle portion of my devotions. And then I'm always working my way through front to back in the Old Testament and front to back in the New Testament. I do this reading with a pen. I'm fond of saying, if you're reading without a pen, it's for fun. If you're reading with a pen, it's work. And so I read with a pen and I make little notes in the margins. And uh, specifically, if God says something to me, I make sure to write it down. It's really fun as I cycle back to passages that I've read over the years, I can see those notes that I've made, and I often make a note, if it really jumps at me, I write the day down and the dates, and uh, you know, maybe a little bit of a 
diary entry on what was happening, very short, very point form. But it's fun to go back years later and see, oftentimes, how the Lord has uh, taken me beyond that moment into a new and really exciting moment. Sometimes I see seasons of pain that uh, have passed away. Sometimes I see um, moments of pain and struggle that are still with me. Really, really helpful to work it that way. So what I did through the first 12 years of my pastoral career was when it came to Wednesday or Thursday, I would go back through all the passages that I had read that week, and I would kind of decide which one had the most resonance. I called it singing to me. Uh, whichever passage sang to me, whichever passage the Lord kind of surfaced in the most profound way as I worked through the Bible in the days preceding that moment when I decided what I was going to preach on, that's what I preached on. And so that's how I did it. It was really, really fun. And so you're always getting, you know, sermons from all over the place. And I typically would preach from one or maybe two verses. I really enjoyed kind of keeping the sermons very focused and limited in their scope, which is pretty scary considering that I used to preach for 45 or 50 minutes on one or two verses. I have been broken, I think. I have been retrained, so I'm not anticipating preaching for 45 or 50 minutes tonight, but I am going to preach from one verse. And here's the idea that kind of leads us into the verse. I was thinking about um, the troubles that we've been walking through. I've been thinking a lot about the pain that surrounds us in the world. Um, in our local context, there's been some tragedies that have hit some families that uh, are well known in our city this week. And of course, in the midst of COVID, I'm sure you know people who are losing livelihood, losing business, losing salary, losing income. Some people you know perhaps have lost loved ones. Maybe you know somebody who has lost their life to uh, the pandemic. We are living in times of stress like we have never lived through before. And in the midst of that, again and again, both my wife as a psychotherapist and myself as a pastor, uh, we encounter people who are like sheep without a shepherd. It's like they're up the creek with no paddle. It's like they have no hope and they're completely alone in the world and they have no answers. And this leads me to ask, what is the problem? These people who are so struggling to make it in these difficult times, what is the essential problem? And I think, and of course this betrays my bias as a pastor, I think the essential problem for most of us I think if you cut right to the chase, is that we don't know God very well. We don't know God very well. If we're really honest, I think um, we often have times where we wonder if God even exists. I'm having these conversations with my teenagers around the dinner table lately. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Dad, how do you even know that God really actually exists? I love these moments. I was looking forward to having these conversations when they would begin to struggle with owning the faith of their father for themselves. Does God even exist? And if he does exist, what's he like? Do you ever wonder that? Do you ever wonder if the picture we have of God as contained in the Bible, as expressed through church history, do you ever wonder how accurate that picture is? I think about this all the time. Um, one, I'm interested in God. I'm curious about uh, who God is and what God does. That curiosity has been with me since I was a young boy, and it really is alive and well in me today. It's the reason that I kind of picked this career. I wanted to be close to God. I wanted to know him and I wanted to be able to communicate what I think about him to as many people as possible. But even me, for whom God has been a lifelong study, even I am not sure who he is exactly. And I often find myself wondering um, what he's like and wondering why he does what he does. And then at the end of it, of course, if you happen to struggle with those questions. Does God exist? What's he like? Why does he do what he does? The uh, question that lies at the heart of it 
is a personal question. What does any of this have to do with me? Right? What does this have to do with, with you? We are all, if we're honest, basically selfish creatures. <laughs> we're all in it for ourselves. Um, and that's something that we struggle with. It's something we grow through and perhaps out of bit by bit as we age and are conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus. But I think if we're really honest, we tend to see the world from our own perspective. We tend to think of life as really about us. And so beneath all these God questions lies that very big question. What does this have to do with me? Who are we dealing with here when it comes to God? It's my joy to tell you today that I believe we're dealing with an accountant author who knows a thing or two about suffering, who's a collector of tears, who puts them to good use, who's uh, writing three books. I find all this in Psalm 56, verse 8. For context, I'm going to read you the whole verse. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my sorrows, my tossings, my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. Huh. You take that one all the way to the bank. I'm not preaching on that verse, but I could. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling. That I may walk before God in the light of life. I was thinking as I worked with this that I probably preached through this psalm recently in Summer in the Psalms, um, but uh, this is a completely different approach this time. One of the things I love most about the Bible is uh, you never, ever exhaust it. You just never do. You come to it humbly, you come to it with an open heart, and God always speaks through it. So I'm going to focus on one verse here out of uh, Psalm 56, and I'm hoping to deploy this verse to help you wrap your mind around who we're dealing with here. Psalm 56, verse 8. I um, have chosen to use a version out of the New Living Translation, which is the translation I'm currently using as my devotional Bible. I usually preach from the ESV. This is from the NLT. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. I want to read this to you in the Hebrew. I've mentioned perhaps uh, before, you've heard me perhaps mention before, or perhaps you're with us for the first time today, so you'll be hearing this for the first time. I grew up in Israel, I'm fluent in Hebrew, and so whenever I'm working from the Old Testament, I uh, love to go to the original language and work with it there and see if it's got any surprises for you. So here's uh, Psalm 56, verse 8 in the Hebrew. Nodei safarta, atasim admati benoadecha, halo besfaratecha. Much shorter, right? One more time, no day safarta ata simadmati benadecha 
הלא בשפחתך. If you were to transliterate it from the Hebrew to the English, kind of literally word for word, it would sound something like this. My wanderings you counted up and told the story of. You've put my tears in your skin bottle. Haven't you counted them all up? It's usually better in the Hebrew. I believe that's the case today. My wanderings you have counted up and told the story of. You have put my tears in your skin bottle. You've put them in your canteen. Haven't you counted them all up? First part here is beautiful. You keep track of all my sorrows, of all my wanderings. Wanderings is the word literally here in the original Hebrew. My wanderings you counted up and told the story of. Hebrew is a beautiful language, especially when you're dealing with the Bible, because it's full of double and sometimes triple entendres. I mean, you can say a word one way, but it means two things. Sometimes it means three things, and that is the case here with the word sfaratecha. Nodei safarta. Safarta. That is the first word that is of interest. My wanderings. You have counted up. Nodei. My wanderings. I want to just point out to you here that uh, life ain't a straight shot to anything. It ain't a straight shot to glory. It ain't a straight shot to ease. I wish it was. It's just not. I've been waiting for 20 years to become an overnight success. Just not happening. Okay, life is not a straight shot to anything. I hope to encourage you today by just reminding you or perhaps telling you for the very first time that wandering, it goes with the territory. Isn't that nice to know? The reason I want to share that with you is because I want you to stop feeling bad about your wandering life. Okay, wandering goes with the territory. You're not wandering because you're a particularly bad person. You're wandering because that's kind of what life is. Wandering goes with the territory. My wanderings you have counted up and told the story of. Why do I get that double entendre? from counted up. Well, because of the Hebrew word, safarta, safarta. The roots of that word is sefer. Do you hear it? Safarta, safarta, seferta, safarta. Sefer is the word for book. But lispor means to count up. Safarta, you have counted up, but the word for book is embedded in the words to count. And so as a Hebrew speaker, when you, word, when you read the word safarta, it literally means he counted up my wanderings, but you hear the echo of the word book in it, which means that he's also writing a story at the same time. My wanderings, you have counted up and told the story of. I just want to make the point that God is counting up your sorrows, he's counting up your wanderings, and he's writing a story from them. This is very cool. This is a pathway to redeeming your relationship to suffering. Okay, he's counted up all your sorrows, he's counted up all your wanderings, and he's writing a story from them. Here's the point. Friend, you are your scars. You are your scars. When you sit around the campfire in the summer and you tell stories, what do you usually tell stories about? Your near-death experiences, the scrapes you got yourself into, 
the time you went skiing and broke your leg and what happened after that. Isn't it true? It's usually your scars that tell the story. You kind of are your scars. There's a powerful pathway here to redeeming your attitude to suffering. This concept leads me to Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Very famous passage. You may have heard this before, but I'm sure somebody here is hearing this for the first time today. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, here it is, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. In uh, the version that I prefer from my devotions, that famous passage from Philippians 3 reads this way, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to say to you today, I want to remind you or perhaps tell you for the very first time that your suffering make you look like Jesus. Your scars make you look like Jesus. Suffering makes you his friend. I mean, somebody say something in your house. Friend, your scars make you look like Jesus. Your suffering makes you his friend. Next time you're tempted to ask yourself, why does God allow me to suffer? Maybe it's because he's more interested in deepening your friendship with him than he is in making your life easy from your perspective. Jesus is called the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. I don't think it's an exaggeration to call him the king of pain. When you suffer, you're moving deeper into friendship with Jesus. Your scars make you look like Jesus. You're dealing with an accountant author who knows a thing or two about sorrow. And he's a tear collector. And he's putting those tears to good use. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. Literally here from the Hebrew, you have individually placed each one of my tears in your canteen. The individually placed thing here comes from the words put, which in this case, in the Hebrew, is sima, from the root in modern Hebrew, lasim, to put, literally to put. But the implication in sima is that he individually put each tear in his skin bottle, in his canteen. Think about that for a second. Think about how small a tear is. And think about God individually catching each tear and placing it in his canteen. One, this is beautiful. I'll receive it today. I felt a holy moment when I wrote this sermon. I was kind of quiet making dinner for my family today because I was afraid to come and deal in this sacred territory, and here we come to it. This here is the moment of truth. One tear at a time, 
God is collecting your sorrows and placing them in his canteen. One tear at a time, he notices and delicately handles each moment of pain that you feel. That should give you profound comfort today. It's not like he's some distant God who's vaguely aware of what's happening to you. Perhaps you feel like he's not aware of it at all. Okay, the Bible here in Psalm 56, 8 clearly teaches that God is intimately acquainted with every drop of suffering that is flowing from you. And he delicately notices and takes each one of those painful moments and places it in his skin bottle. A skin bottle, a canteen, a water bottle in Israel is an absolutely essential thing. It's a very dry country. You have to drink water constantly. Okay, it's essential. Everybody needs to have one. How do you know? Even God has one, as pictured here in Psalm 56. A canteen, God's water source in the wilderness. I just want to point out the idea here that your tears are kept safe in God's water bottle. This is powerful. I sat and wrestled with this for a while, thinking about God, like, would he drink the tears? I thought maybe now we're pushing the analogy a little too far. But then it hit me, I was like, oh, if the tears are stored in the canteen, if the tears are stored in God's water bottle, they are kept safe for the journey home. Take that one step further. This should help you powerfully. Your sorrows are not just one more drop in an endless, nameless, faceless ocean of despair. If you borrow the idea of God walking through the desert, and you think about your tears as falling in the desert, how quickly would one tear disappear in the vastness of an uncharted desert? It would be as if it never happened. It would be completely like, who cares about your sorrows? It's one drop amongst billions and billions upon billions of drops that just fall in the desert, and still the desert is an arid and desolate place. And I know you feel that way sometimes. Don't you feel that way? Like your sorrow is a desert. There's no hope of life. There's no hope of new, new birth, new growth. Except that God is placing each one of your tears in his water bottle. Each drop is collected by God and it is kept by him. And here we come to it. He carries the weight of it. How about that? Is that good? That's good. That's beautiful. See, because though we said off the top that you think of life as being all about you, you're one in the midst of billions of souls. If you think about the suffering and the pain that you're dealing with and then multiply it, even multiply it by 100. Multiply it by 150,000 in my city. Multiply it by 30 million in my country. Multiply it by the, what, 470,000 families who have lost a loved one in the United States of America through the course of this pandemic. Take your sorrow and multiply it by whatever factor you choose and you quickly come to a place where you are absolutely undone by the weight of pain that exists in the human experience. It's so brutal, in fact, that it should cause you to lose hope, take leave of your senses, turn to substance abuse, I don't know, whatever it takes to help you numb the pain. 
which is what most of the people you know are busily doing. Unless some gospel preacher who cares enough about you to tell you the truth, one day, this day, says to you, God has not overlooked your pain. He's not forgotten about you. In fact, he's caught every single tear you've ever, ever cried, and he's stored it in his water bottle. He's in the same for every human who's ever lived, and he carries the weight. Hallelujah. This is kind of the point of Christianity. That in Jesus, we find someone who can do what we cannot do for ourselves. We find a man, the God-man, who can deal with our sin problem. He can deal with the distance that's been created by sin between us and God. He can restore us to relationship with God our Father. Because he dies on the cross in our place for our sin. He bears the penalty that we should have borne. God the Father punishes him in our place. And because Jesus is God the Son made flesh, he's big enough to take the sins of the world and to pay the price for all time. Do you see how this imagery is just part of who the Godhead is? In Psalm 56, 8, we see God the Father carrying his skin bottle, carrying his canteen full of the pain of the world. And so it's not surprising that we see in the incarnation, God the Son hung upon Calvary's cross, bearing, carrying the weight of the sins of the world. The same God is at work in you today. Relief is available to you today. You can pray with me even now, Jesus, I need it. I need that relief this guy's talking about. So I don't know how this works, but um, I want to become one of your people today. Please come into my heart and make me yours. Please forgive me of my sins. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Even now, Lord, lift the weight I've been carrying all these years. In Jesus' name, amen. Ron, if you prayed that prayer with me just now and if you meant it, you should have felt a weight lift off your shoulders. If that's you, testify. Tell somebody about it today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He carries the weight of your pain. Too often, we try to hold on to our pain. Somebody say, touche, preacher. Are you trying to hold on to your pain today? I told you you are your scars, right? But you don't need to be your pain. Okay, the pain that occurs when a wound is cut. It lasts for a time, but once it heals and leaves you with a scar, the pain should be gone. Stop holding on to your pain. Are you identifying yourself by your pain? By the sorrow you've experienced? I just want to remind you there's a better way. You don't have to live like that. Joy can be yours in Jesus. That's why I follow him, period. Period. Why? Because he gives me joy. He gives me peace. He gives me hope. Without Jesus, I'd be absolutely sunk. Stop holding on to your pain. Give it to the desert wanderer. Somebody say hallelujah. I want to uh, just tell you something beautiful here. What's he doing with all that pain? All those tears stored up in his bottle. Um, he's using it to write one of his three books. You're like, whoa, this is really, really weird. Don't worry, it's not that weird, it's biblical. 
How do I know? Because I know the text. You have recorded each one in your book. Okay? You keep track of all my wanderings, of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. So the desired image that the psalmist wants you to have in your mind here is of God writing the book of tears with your sorrows. That's the image that's meant to come to your mind. God is writing the book of tears with your sorrows. And we know of two other books that he's writing. <laughs> yeah, you know where I'm going. I'm going to Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Here it is, church. Somebody say, woo. You can say it in anticipation. Woo, here it comes. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done, the book of deeds. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he or she was thrown into the lake of fire. You got your money's worth today. Yes, you did. The book of tears, the book of deeds, and the Lamb's book of life. God is writing three books. And here's where I go a little Chris Jones on you. Chris Jones, one of my dearest friends, wonderful preacher. He preaches here five, six times a year. I'd have him preach more if he'd agree to it, but he's just too busy achieving greatness in other areas in his life. Come on back, Uncle Jones. Come on back, baby. But I learned this kind of interpretation from him, and I thought of you, Uncle Jones, as I wrote this. Get, you're going to love this, Devin. Get a load of this. I wonder if the book of tears is being written by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is also known as the comforter. I wonder, I wonder if the book of deeds is being written by the Father. Why would the Father be writing the book of deeds? Because our Father is the judge. Okay, the scriptures teach us that one day he will assign judgment to the Son. But that means it is his to assign, which means he is the judge of humankind. So I wonder if the Father is writing the book of deeds, and we all know who's writing the Lamb's book of life. That would be the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, our Jesus. I, just, I, didn't, I can't even make this stuff up, just so you know. I, I never ever thought about this until I wrote this sermon today. The book of tears, the book of deeds, and the Lamb's book of life. Is it a mistake, do you think, that we see here a beautiful picture of God in his triune completeness, completely accounting for all of your tears, all of your deeds, and all of his grace to affect that thing that you most need, which is rescue? I mean, somebody shout in this house. 
This is a picture of God in his completeness, completely accounting for all of your tears, all of your deeds, and all of his grace to affect that thing that you most need, which is rescue. So, take a deep breath and keep going. Why? Because the God with the three book deal is with you. And somebody said, amen. Come on, buddy. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. I hope you're leaving feeling encouraged. If you have any questions for us or you'd like to pay us a visit, you can find all the info you need on our website, gracecommunity.ca. 